0: SPN Plus, alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebi Salazar. And what did we see off the top there? Was that a... Just the fan with the worst luck in the world He's a Buffalo Bills fan and a Cruz Azul fan. How are you doing?
1: I know you're a massive Buffalo Bills fan. I, I, I'm sure you must be fine, dandy. You even came in Buffalo colors today. How are you holding really?
0: up? Mm, Buffalo wears orange. Okay. Good is that to know. orange? Good it looks red. That looks red. Well, we got to get the lights adjusted in here because this jacket is definitely orange. Uh, no, I'm, I'm very disappointed, Herc. You know, I'm not a huge fan anymore of the American football. I grew up a big, big Bills fan. I expected a lot more against Cincinnati. I was, I was nervous about the game against Cincinnati, but I didn't think it would go like that. It was like being a Cruz Azul fan. And it, it happened at home, too.
1: <sighs> yeah, it, you know what? Biggest losers weren't just the Bills. It was the NFL because... That game, they win it. They play in a neutral site Mm. with Kansas City. It would have been taking a page out of soccer, neutral site venue for a championship game, and that would have been some major dollars right there for the NFL. So they lose out on that.
0: Wow. wow! The Buffalo Bills letting everybody down again, including our friend (laughs) there who was was at Orchard Park uh, rocking his Cruz Azul gear. We got a lot coming in this edition of Football Americas, which, by the way, is episode 215 of this show. Paxton Aronson, Herc. Is going to join us from January camp. We're going to recap a weekend that was very good for both Americans and Mexicans in Europe. We are only three games, Herc, into the Liga MX season, yet already producer Beto is ready to push the panic button on quite a few teams. Not on his team. Teams. Not his team,
1: but quite a no. few teams.
0: No. Uh, speaking of Liga MX, we also have the groups for the Leagues Cup coming up this summer, so we'll pick a group of death out of that. And we'll also look back on the U.S. women's national team who concluded their trip to New Zealand with a big win. But, Herc, let's start with a shakeup at U.S. soccer. That's right, change at the Federation. ESPN's Sam Borden reporting last Friday that Brian McBride will not return as general manager of the U.S. men's national team. He was reportedly out of contract, this after becoming GM back in 2020. Sam also reporting... That while Greg Burhalter is still a candidate to return as manager, it is, quote, increasingly less likely that will happen in light of the fallout from the burhalter reyna family scandal. Herc, Brian McBride out. Is this the right move by U.S. soccer?
1: I don't know. <laughs> Can I be honest? Sep I, 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 I say this with the utmost respect for Brian McBride, I don't know what... Brian McBride did at U.S. Soccer, what that GM role really entails. You have Ernie Stewart there. So unless it's something we don't know about, a breach in protocol or or something else, because is it really sporting? There were two goals set out for this U.S. men's national team, qualifying and getting out of the group, and they did them both. So where did it go wrong for Brian McBride? I I don't know what his day-to-day duties were unless you're just an ambassador for club teams from mm. club team to the national team, and you're just making trips, making phone calls. Where did it go wrong? I, I, I don't know,
0: and I say it with all due respect, I don't know what he did. Right, this is not the right move, Herc. This is a nothing move, this is a meaningless move. Brian McBride, to your point, is literally the middle man here, right? Ernie Stewart is above him, Greg Berhalter is beneath him. Ernie Stewart runs the show, Greg Berhalter is closest to the team. Right right and if we specifically talk about the scandal that US soccer finds itself in right now Greg Verhalter and Ernie Stewart are much closer to that scandal than Brian McBride is it Ernie's- because
1: of the scandal though that's what i don't know that's what i cuz i would be led to believe that there was a breach in prot- protocol somewhere and it's because of the scandal but that could be the only
0: reason you let go of them right well that that is that would be if it was a firing this reportedly is the end of a contract okay. and a contract not being renewed, okay? But to me, this is, this is a sacrifice. This is a, we know the fans, we know the press want blood right now, so we're gonna sacrifice the middleman. And to me, that's just pointless because you've got the guy who admitted to domestic violence and the guy who unnecessarily took the call from an enraged mother, which led us into this scandal. That's Greg Berhalter and Ernie Stewart If they're still fit to be in their jobs, I don't understand why we're getting rid of Brian McBride. And to further your point about just how important this position is, if you believe the reports from the Associated Press, we have no reason not to believe that, they report that when Ernie Stewart told the board that Brian McBride was not going to return, he didn't tell them if he would replace Brian McBride. I don't even know if we're going to see a replacement for this position because we don't know really what this position does. But if the one thing that you mentioned that Brian McBride might do is what his actual duties were, we should probably give him credit because you pointed out when the January camp roster dropped, you said, boy, look at all these clubs around the world when they don't usually release players, especially a club like, I don't know, Middlesbrough in the championship in the middle of their season or Eintracht Frankfurt with a Paxton Aronson in in the middle of their season.
1: Who has two games sandwiched into this January camp.
0: So those clubs, without having to seemingly respect U.S. soccer enough to give them their players in this non-FIFA window. So if, if that's the one thing you brought McBride in to do, he seemed to have done it well. You have a great relationship, apparently, with clubs. Certainly, if you compare it to the relationship FMF has with, like, Porto, Sevilla, anybody who Tecatito has played for. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, uh, even... Even then, sacrificial how? You just you just mentioned that they just let him walk away. It, it, they just said you're not welcome back, so to speak. They didn't fire him, so I really don't see where the sacrifice was. I go back to because not the Because the fans will was.
0: see it as a firing. The media no, will see I, it as look McBride out, McBride out. That's no, what people fans, want. People want to see blood out their scandal. I think the
1: fans are smart enough to be like, who's who else? Right. Who else? Who's next? Yes. Who's next? Who's mm. next? I think the fans are smart enough to realize that. I don't think Anybody in their right minds thinks this is just something that's sporting-related
0: or his actual job. So there's more to it. So let's assume that the fallout done isn't limited to McBride, or maybe let's not assume that. What do you think this decision about McBride tells us about what's coming with Greg Berhalter and his future with the national team?
1: I I just don't see how there's any way U.S. soccer can retain Greg Berhalter after everything that we know now, Uh, after him— admitting domestic violence, and there's the thought process out there that that was 30 years ago. He was 18. It's fine. I'm not for this cancel culture. I understand that thought process. I I can get with, in some way, the psyche of, okay, it's still domestic violence, and sponsors aren't down with that. And And at the end of the day, the bottom dollar is the sponsor. And U.S. soccer, who's been in just litigation with their own players for the better part of a decade To have this also, this stain on them, that's not a PR event they would like themselves. Listen, I was against Greg Berhalter for sporting reasons, even before this drama, this incident, this saga came about. I don't see how they can retain him now. If anybody can convince me otherwise, please go ahead, because I, I, I see no probable way.
0: Again, according to Sam Borden in the report, increasingly less likely that Berhalter will be back. This can't be good for his candidacy uh, that's for sure, because it does feel like maybe even beyond Burhalter U.S. soccer may be getting ready to clean house. All right, so Brian McBride, a part of the national team's past, for now. What about its future, Herc? A big name, a special name has been linked to the U.S. head coaching job. Jose Mourinho, that's right, is reportedly high up on U.S. soccer's list of candidates to potentially replace Or this according to The Sun. Take it for what it's worth. The 59-year-old has never managed at the international level. Though he has expressed interest in it, he is currently at Roma in Syria. Herc, what do you think? Is Jose Mourinho a realistic target for U.S. soccer?
1: I actually said this was my possibility when you did this exercise about Mm -hmm. your dream coach, your your possibility, and your security blanket. And I said you
0: were crazy. I said you were crazy because I thought it was a reach. I thought it was a dream, but you had it in the possible category. Now, check
1: this out, okay? This is a very pragmatic coach who's won everything. Everywhere he's been, he has won. The U.S. Men's National Team pool has players that can do well in a pragmatic system like Jose Mourinho himself deploys. The thing here is, does he have any desire to actually go to the U.S. Men's National Team? Well, maybe he does. Produ- production, producer Beto, can we pull up the quote? Because this is Jose Mourinho, okay, not long ago, talking about this U.S. men's national team setup. I see myself coaching a club team, coaching the national team, helping develop soccer in the U.S. When I'm tired of winning things in Europe, not one too much in Europe lately, it's something I want to do. I want to coach the Portugal national team. Well, he he denied them just recently. And I I want to work in the United States. You can have that. You can have Mm. your cake and eat it too with this U.S. Men's National Team. A 2026 World Cup. Jose Mourinho. That setup, that system. And what's best? You can be damn well sure he's not going to be answering the phone picking up overbearing parents' phone calls. Mm. None of that. And also... There is a sector of the fan base and maybe some players who think certain players are untouchable. And maybe they are. Hierarchies exist in world football. I understand that. But Jose Mourinho, Mourinho comes in that door, everybody is on their heels. Ears are perked up and nobody is safe.
0: So I love it. I love it. If it's true, if it's true, if Ernie Stewart is really making contact with guys like Zinedine Zidane and Jose Mourinho, even if they don't come to manage the national team, it's good to have those conversations. It shows a lot of ambition here for U.S. soccer. As far as whether it's realistic, currently he's at Roma. Mm -hmm. He's got a contract at Roma through 2024. But let's be honest about Jose Mourinho, especially if we look at his his more recent jobs, and how they ended. I'm talking about Spurs. I'm talking about United. I'm talking about Chelsea the second time. One, the jobs last around two years. Yeah. So he's coming up on his two-year anniversary here in the summer with Roma. And two, he talks his way out of them, and he talks his way out of them quick. So Roma right now, right in the Champions League race, I think they're fourth in in Serie A. Let's say they, they miss out on Champions League. He goes ballistic in the spring, talks his way out of it, and he's a free agent come the summer. Are you willing to wait until the summer for Jose Mourinho?
1: I don't think you have to wait till the summer for Jose Mourinho. The reports were that the Portuguese national team were actually willing to let him coach Roma and do the Portuguese national team in FIFA fixture dates. I think you could easily do the same in the meantime. In okay. the meantime. Until you work out a compromise gearing up to 2026, listen, U.S. soccer literally was willing to lose 13 months with Dave Sarakin at the helm to let Greg Berhalter coach the Columbus crew? You think they're not going to let Jose Mourinho coach Roma? If they want to, they being U.S. soccer, and Jose Mourinho is willing to do both at the same time, it can happen. I see no reason why not. This is still Jose Mourinho. Listen. You said no to the Portuguese national team. There's a reason for that. Is this because you don't want to be the guy who has Cristiano in those later years, that transitional period, or is it because you don't want to coach national team right now? It's a different game.
0: You mentioned Burhalter. You were very critical of Greg Burhalter's style and the way his team's played I was as style. the national team manager. Yes. Oh, no, no. Oh, no. You always criticize the style, oh, no, no. the way it looks. The looked. execution. Las formas. They have this golden generation. He should be getting more out of them. Are you okay with this golden generation playing Jose Mourinho style? You're going to be okay with that, and you think American fans be okay with that? You are
1: insane if you think Jose Mourinho is a step down for this U.S. men's national team pool because that's how you're framing this question. If you think Jose Mourinho isn't good enough for this U.S. men's national team pool... Stop,
0: stop. You clearly misunderstood the question No, I understood the question perfectly. Let me ask you this. Do you have a problem with the U.S. playing the way that Jose Mourinho loves to play with his ultra-talented generation of young players? You got a problem with it.
1: (laughs) Ask the question one more time because I want you to listen to yourself when you're just... I have no issue with this U.S. men's national team, these players, playing that way. Because Jose yeah. Mourinho is by far in the way the most talented person ever associated with the U.S. men's national team set up as a coach. That's, that's just a reality. Look at what, everything he's won. That's a reality. As a coach, nobody's resume comes next okay. to us. And we're talking about very few in the world you can match up next to him. Now, if you want to apologize or retract what you just said, Style doesn't matter. Formas don't matter here it. on Football if America. If you want to, I will give you one Hercules chance to does that. not
0: care, does not care about how the U.S. Jeez. men's national team plays. Oh, my goodness. All he cares about is results. Respect. I, I would take it back. Respect. <laughs> respect me. All you want is With results. Respect, you don't care how they play. You love Berhalter ball. That's why you wore the shirt back in the day, isn't it? I
1: have the shirt, by That's the way. That's
0: right. That's right. Look at collector's All right, let's move on to Gio Reyna, speaking of. who was a 70th minute sub for Borussia Dortmund in their 4-3 win over Augsburg on Sunday. And indeed, it was Reyna's goal in the 78th minute Herc that ends up being the game winner. It's a good
1: goal, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. It's a ridiculous goal. Uh, the touch touches it perfectly for the just volley, the overhead volley, not overhead, the volley into the side netting. Goalkeeper maybe gets a finger on it. It's a ridiculous goal. And then look at the celebration, the celly.
0: His third goal of the season, already more than last season, and the uh, celebration there, very similar to Memphis Depay. Why is that interesting? Well, you remember this Greg Berhalter quote after the U.S. crashed out against Netherlands in the round of 16? Quote, we don't have a Memphis Depay right now who's scoring in the Champions League. All right, Herc, what do you make of Gio's celebration? Is it shots fired at Berhalter? Yeah, I would love
1: that the production could put up the Celia again because it's not just the Memphis Depay. He's covering his ears. He's doing the talking sign. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of moving parts to that celebration. So I don't think it's just a shot at Greg Berhalter. I think there's a shot for Greg Berhalter. Absolutely Memphis Depay. I also think it's a shot at anybody who has questioned him or the Reyna family. That would include Claudio and Danielle Reyna recently. Anybody who had an opposing thought about the Reynas and their involvement, I think this goes for you as well. Not only Greg Berhalter, so yes, shots fired at Greg Berhalter, absolutely. But if you took issue with the Reynas, Gio himself or the Reynas in this saga, shots fired at you as well. And you know what, Seb? I've got zero issue with it. I have no problem whatsoever with this because this is the only way he's going to make people forget. One, with goals and assists like I told you, and two, that's the mentality he needs to have. Me? against the world. Us against the world. When I play, I have to do this. The great players have that. Now, there's got to be a better team in. I think everybody is in accordance with that. I think you would say that's true, right? But if you have an issue with this, I don't know what to tell you.
0: Yes. Gio Reyna scoring for Borussia Dortmund, an absolute golasso. I think this is actually probably as much evidence as you need to why Greg Berhalter can't come back, right? Because of how toxic it is that whether this celebration was directly aimed at Burhalter or not, we're talking about it. And and, and that toxicity, that, that rift between Reyna and Burhalter I don't know how it would ever be washed away until these two are separated, no longer working in the same national team camp. I love the fact that Gio is turning this into motivation. And and Dorman might be able to use him. You know, he gets the game winner here. There's six right now on the table. They're not far from being you know, right behind Bayern. I think they're seven points back of Bayern right now, but they're one or two points away from being second in the league. Still, Dorman could use a boost. They could use a spark. And Gio Reyna could be the guy to deliver that spark if he's if he's playing as, as he did right there. I don't know if you saw the celebration, Herc, because it was it was like fully drawn out, right? He first goes over and he does the talking yeah. and then this. yeah, And then the teammates kind of get him. But then he walks back over to the supporters, back over to where the cameras are, and does just... Yeah. The Memphis, the pie. Read into it all you want. Don't read into it all you want. Seemed like seemed like something about Memphis, the pie, if it wasn't about uh, Greg Berhalter. We shall find out. Maybe someday there'll be a, a tell-all book. Let's run it back. U.S. men's national team are scoring goals. Gio, not the only one. Josh Sargent, his 10th of the season. My man for got Norris 10, 10 goals already?
1: 4-2. 10 goals already, Sammy? Ten. Maybe he can play as a nine. Maybe he can play as a nine. Unbelievable, he doesn't play as a nine.
0: Norwich up to fifth after their victory over Coventry, looking good in the championship. Ricardo Pepe with an assist, his third of the season as Groningen lost three to one to Heronven. All
1: right, all right, I I never got this type of an assist. Like, my man, I don't know if he meant to pass it, but he meant to be dangerous.
0: That's a uh, Football America's assist there. Real assist here, Kevin Paredes, the pride of DC United and Bethesda Soccer Club.
1: Look at that, Kevin Paredes. Uh, first Bundesliga assist. I just gave out a Kevin Paredes signed jersey, and if you guys are good here at Football Americas, I'll give out another one. I'll make, wow. I'll make sure he gives out another
0: one. Wolfsburg, 6-0 winners over Freiburg on the day. and Balogun, you've heard of him. Could play for the U.S., England, or Nigeria. He's got another goal for Rums who won in the French Cup, her. All right, this
1: is unfair. I, he's not committed yet. This is just making people, like, really, really want him.
0: <laughs> 11 goals in 19 games played so far this season. Another multinational. Play for the US or Mexico, Alejandro Zendejas, with a golazo, hurt. Dios mio. An assist
1: before this, and then this golazo. The technical ability here on Fleek.
0: First of the season for Club América, and of course, Zendejas called into January camp.
2: Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good!
0: But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Speaking of January camp, the U.S. team is in Southern California ahead of not one but two friendlies in the L.A. area. Wednesday, it'll be the United States against Serbia from BMO Stadium, formerly Bank of California Stadium, home of LAFC. And then on Saturday, from the home of the Galaxy Dignity Health Sports Park, it'll be the United States against Colombia. 24 players called in, 13 could make their senior debuts in the first games of the Anthony Hudson era. For more on camp, let's call on somebody who's actually there on the ground in Southern California, Paxton Aaronson, formerly of the Philadelphia Union, now, of course, of Eintracht Frankfurt. Paxton, welcome to the show. Great to have you here on Football Americas.
3: Uh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, happy to be here.
0: All right, so give us the vibe. What's going on in this camp? I mentioned 13 players who could make their senior debuts, plus we got a new coach, so a lot of new faces. Describe to us what y'all are up to.
3: Yeah, I think, uh, like you said, a lot of young, hungry guys uh, trying to make a good first impression uh, on the new coach. But I think it's a a really talented group of a lot of new faces, which is sometimes really good because they bring a lot of hunger, they bring a lot of ambition, and they're always kind of pushing the level to try to make that good first impression. And a lot of guys can make their senior team, including me, debut. So, yeah, I'm just uh, really looking forward to it, and hopefully I can make that impression to make my first cap.
1: Paxton, big European move, your first call up with the U.S. men's national team. What are you feeling at this moment right now, this moment in your career?
3: Yeah, I'm feeling uh, a lot of emotions, but the number one thing for me is uh, super excited and super thrilled. You know, like you kind of said, a lot of things have been happening for me in these last couple months with the big move to Europe and now getting caught into my first senior camp, but it's been nothing short of exciting for me. I, I'm a kind of player and I'm a kind of person that loves the the challenge. And, yeah, it's just been great for me. All
0: right, so if this ne- last name sounds familiar, it should. He is, of course, the younger brother of Brendan Aronson. I'm wondering if, Paxton, Brendan gave you any advice before this camp and generally kind of what your relationship is like. Is he Is he a mentor? Is he a rival? Like, what's that like? <laughs>
3: Uh, No, he's for sure a mentor. Yeah, um, it's always nice just getting to bounce ideas off of him. Uh, Always just communicating after his games, after my games, just always asking questions. And of course, I called him, uh, texted him before coming into this camp. Um, He kind of gave me the rundown of what to expect. But for him, this was a super important camp. This is what kind of kick-started his national team kind of status and he told me the same thing this is where you can make a extremely good first impression and if you if you pull if you do it the right way this can set you up for a lot of success Um, and it's obviously uh, a huge cycle for the U.S. national team with the World Cup coming here in 2026 so he said if if you do it right this could set you up for a lot of success like he like he did for himself so yeah you know,
1: I've heard your brother Brennan actually talk about you, and he actually said you're going to be better. I'm curious. I'm sure you've never heard people compare you to, but I'm curious from <laughs> your perspective. What similarities? What differences do you see? How are you alike? How? What do you? What do you? It, mentally and physically, are, are in the game.
3: Um, I think we obviously have a lot of similarities, just because we were kind of raised in kind of crafted and molded to to the same techniques, the same um, craftsmanship, because my dad was obviously our mentor and he kind of taught us uh, everything we know. But I think obviously there's some differences between us. Of course, we're both um, like really quick with the ball. We obviously work and, and run a lot. But I think for me, positionally, I think I'm more of a like true 10. Like I like to kind of stay higher up the field and kind of just get into those really good pockets where it's like I get the ball and then it's one, two, three touches and then it's a it's a pass to make the killer pass. Brennan can kind of do it all, but he's also like a crazy workhorse, which I try to take from him. Um, but, yeah, there's definitely some similarities, definitely some differences, but, yeah.
0: All right, clearly, clearly we have to credit Mr. Aronson, right? He's the mentor, but we should probably yeah. also credit – the Philadelphia Union mm-hmm. Academy, because yeah. it's not just the Aronson brothers that are coming out of the Philadelphia Union Academy. First question, Paxton is: Is Philadelphia Union the best academy in all of Major League Soccer? And if it is, why?
3: What's going on there? Um, of course, I have to uh, back my uh, hometown club. Uh, I think in in recent years, it for sure has. Um, surpassed a lot of the other academies, and I think it, it for sure could label itself as, as the number one. But of course, there's other fantastic academies that have produced uh, top, top players like the likes of FC Dow. Um, they're always uh, a big uh, part of you know developing young guys, and they've done a great job. But I think recently and over the last several years, Union has for sure made that push to claim at, at number one. What they've done, the recruiting processes they have done, and how they've handled me but a lot of the un- other young guys coming up through the ranks it's, it's been truly incredible and um, I mean I, I saw it firsthand. the way they handled me the academy guys guys like Richie Graham who, who run the program at the lower levels who run the school just the setup they have really sets young guys up for success and, and that's what you've seen over the last however many years you know our studios here for Football Americas are in Los Angeles there
1: was a big game in LA Philly versus LAFC I want to yes. know a few things Brendan uh, one, uh, have you recovered from MLS Cup? And two, what, if anything, did you learn out of that? Because it was so chaotic. One of the best games I've ever seen when it comes to an actual final in Major League Soccer.
3: Yeah, for me, that game was uh, heartbreaking. Um, it was a crazy game. Like you said, a, a really crazy experience for me uh, being so young but being able to given the opportunity to play in such a high stature game and in the MLS Cup Final where some guys you know maybe don't ever get the chance to play in the final so I was so grateful to play in that but there's always some things that you can take away I mean they obviously, LAFC have world-class players, so there's only so much you can do. But I mean, just closing out the game, but I mean, there's there's a lot of things you could have uh, done maybe in the moment, but at the end of the day, it, it panned out like that. It was obviously heartbreaking. And of course, I wanted more for the guys, for the Philly fans, but uh, um, I have no doubt that they'll be back and that they'll bounce back because they're a group of, of really hardworking guys, great coaching staff, and I have no doubt that they'll be back.
0: What an experience it, it must have been, Paxton. Speaking of experience, this won't actually be your your first time with the national team, your first time with the senior team, but we know you quite well from the youth national team ranks, especially this under-20 team that we, we kind of all fell in love with last year. Tell me about this U-20 squad, because you guys were, were not just good in CONCACAF, you were dominant, and I don't think we've really seen that before.
3: Yeah, um, I, I love those guys. I love that team, really, truly. When I go and play with that team, I, I enjoy—I enjoy every second of it, on and off the field. Uh, being coached by Mikey, the assistant coaches Sean, I, I really truly enjoy every moment of it and and playing the way we do playing the style that we play it's obviously super enjoyable for me and the tournament I had uh, of course I had a, a good tournament but I think the team around me and and what we did set me up for all the success I had in that tournament and I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully uh, being named to that U-20 World Cup roster and yeah I think we have a really talented group and I think we can do big things in that mm. The U-20s, the Olympics coming up. You were obviously uh, voted the best
1: player in CONCACAF at the U-20 level. Uh, You've seen this group, which was the best team at the U-20 level. Give me a name, maybe a name that people haven't heard, don't realize that you think is going to have just a ridiculous career. Maybe a Jack McGlynn, somebody of that nature who... Can't pick yourself. You can't pick yourself. I I, (laughs) I actually thought we'd see Jack McGlynn here in this uh, January camp, but I'm sure uh, they're saving him for that U-20. Give me a name.
3: Um... I mean, I was going to say, number one, Jack McGlynn. Uh, another one, Alejandro Alvarado. I think he's just one of those guys that kind of goes under the radar because he's not the one that gets on the score sheet or mm. makes the killer passes all the time. But he does, he does the dirty work for the team that sometimes goes unnoticed but that every team needs. You know what I mean? When I was playing, just having him kind of winning the second balls, winning those tackles, being that kind of guy is is so crucial uh, to a team. And he also has an end product, which is ga- uh, amazing. And Jack McGinn, of course, he's like my best friend. So he has tremendous amount of talent. I mean, a crazy left foot, crazy IQ uh, on and off the ball. So, yeah, he's going to have a tremendous career.
0: Paxton, before we let you go, i got to ask about the big move to Eintracht Frankfurt. One, why Eintracht Frankfurt? And two, what were the other options? What else were you considering?
3: Um, So I'll start with why. I mean, Eintracht Frankfurt kind of came to me from the very beginning. And once they kind of told me the, the plan that they had for me, they were only the really club that I had in the back of my mind that me and my family were set on, just because how they approached me and, and how they kind of handled my situation with the recruiting they did for me and how how the plan that they gave me you know what i mean how they told me that i fit into their system with the two tens they play It, it was just nice to hear and it just felt like they they really wanted me and that they had a plan for me for for the future and they were just a top club obviously Europa league reigning champion, so getting the opportunity to to a club like this of this stature um, it's only going to make me better a better player better person off the field and learning from guys like mario goats every day in training it's just going to increase uh my level and yeah i'm just looking forward to you know just learning from these guys and and just yeah taking it all in
1: obviously you want to take it all in you want to learn you want to get better but paxton Aronson, what goals does he have for himself where do you see yourself what do you want to achieve
3: Um, Yeah, um, I think it it starts with this camp. Wanting to achieve my first cap for the national team would be a dream come true. Um, Getting that good impression like I spoke about uh, because this is a very important camp for a very important cycle. And then back at at my club, I think... I had a 10-day preseason um, in Dubai. That was really good for me. We had two test matches against Leipzig and Lech Posen, a Polish team, and continuing to show what I can do, continuing to show that I belong at that level, and then slowly chipping away, slowly chipping away to, to make the roster, then slowly chipping away to make my first team debut, and then maybe it's my first start. But slowly chipping away and becoming the player that I want to become and then making an impact at, at the top level.
0: All right, there he is, Paxton Aronson. Good luck Wednesday night against Serbia. And good luck this season in the Bundesliga with Eintracht Frankfurt. Great to have you with us on Futbol Americas.
3: Uh, uh, thank you guys so much. It was a pleasure.
0: Kirk, what do we call him? Mr. Football Americas Jr. or what? No, no, no. What a nice guy. This is the type of player that you like to root for. Absolutely. There we see his, uh, his heat map from his time in Philadelphia. Paxton Aronson about about to potentially make his senior debut with the U.S. team in January camp. All right, Herc, you know what they used to call January camp? What? Camp Cupcake. Oh, Can you believe that? They still call it that. The disrespect. Yeah. But we should point out that every once in a while, maybe even more than every once in a while, you find something good in January camp, something real good. So what we're gonna do now is Herc's top five gems of January camp for the U.S. men's national team, Herc. Why don't you start us off at number five?
1: Bear with me, all right? Number five, Matt Turner, come on down. Got his national team debut in January camp, never looked back. Same year, he started six games, Seb, six games in the Gold Cup, got five shutouts. One of those, 1-0 win versus your beloved Mexico in that final in Las Vegas, Nevada. You were there, Seb, you remember that. You were also, Seb, in Qatar. In Qatar, Mm -hmm. where he posted two shutouts, something that's not been done by a US men's national team goalkeeper since, I think you were like three, 1930? (laughs) So, big time right there. That's number five, all right? Let's go to number four. Oh, number four is a good one. Everybody's favorite GM. One of my favorite teammates, one of my favorite center backs in the U.S. Men's National Team setup, set excuse me, Carlos Bocanegra Negra. Center back and left back, over a decade's worth of experience in Europe. Uh, over a hundred and something caps, what do we got? 110 caps with the U.S. Men's National Team. One of the best left foots that you will see from a center back. A really good player, and one of the original Captain Americas. That is our number four, now GM of Atlanta United, Carlos Boca Negra. Number four, number three, Josie Altador. Can you believe it? Josie Altador was a January camp product. Uh, also at 17 years of age, this is crazy. Uh, there are only two individuals with more goals in a U.S. men's national League shirt than Josie Altador. That would be Clint Dempsey and Landon Donovan. Josie Altador, from that January camp, made one of the best forward careers in the history of the U.S. men's national team, and yet we will still think he could have done more. Imagine that, how high that ceiling was and how high his playing career was. Uh, Number two, Clint Dempsey. I'm going to quote the great poet, Bruce Arena. He tried shit. (laughs) Can we say that? Yeah, we can say that. Yeah, I got the okay. He tried shit. That's really what it was. Discovered in January camp, he tried his brown emoji and he made it work. One of the most creative players you will ever see, probably ever see, in a U.S. Men's National Team jersey. It's Clint Dempsey's goals, assists, the flare, the closest thing we have or have had to Mamba mentality. Maybe Gio Reyna's next on that one. And number one, I I had to make this a tie. Let me tell you why. Landon Donovan and Demarcus Beasley at the hip, youth national teams made their way up together to that January camp. And then from there, parlayed it into a 2002 yes. World Cup tournament. One where, yes, Landon Donovan maybe had more of the play and more of the flair, was voted the best young player of the tournament in the 2002 World Cup, scored that infamous goal against uh, Mexico, that dos Acero. You were there. You were a what? 15, 18 maybe? At I wasn't that there, but I was watching. You you were there in, sp- in spirito. Uh, but it's what they did afterward. Obviously, Landon Donovan with Clint Dempsey, uh, leading goal scorer in the history of the U.S. Men's National Team. And, and if not for Coba, if not for 2018, DeMarcus Beasley would have five World Cups. Think about that. These are my top five gems. I'm sure there's a lot more out there. There's the, uh, uh, what's another one? Pablo Musterani is a good shout. Uh, Matt Beasler. Clyde Sims I wanted to put in there for the wow. great story that it was. USL to US Men's National League in the January camp. Go Google that, you uh, young crowd out there. But there's yes. some definitely shouts there.
0: The work stoppage, the strike. Remember that? Of course. Yeah. Uh, DC Clyde product Sims. for you. As a- DC United, yes. <laughs> yeah. Played for Richmond. Uh, Carlos Yamosa as well. He's another one. As well. So uh, Clint, Landon, and Donovan, all from the time they, they played in their January camps, played in a World Cup within 18 months. Pretty yeah. impressive. Matt Turner, who was on your list, 22 months, from literally making his debut January 21 to starting for the U.S. in the World Cup. The quickest out of everybody is a name you haven't mentioned yet. DeAndre Yedlin, back in 2014, got his first cap at the end of the January camp. And six months later, Herc, six months later, was playing in the World Cup for Jurgen Klinsmann and the U.S. men's national team in 2014.
1: That's almost as impressive of not playing in a January camp and making a World Cup.
0: Hmm. You know who else was in January camp back in 2011? Tim Ream. Tim Ream and Anthony Robinson and Fulham will face Sunderland. And Lyndon Gooch, speaking of Americans, Saturday in the fourth round of the FA Cup. The FA Cup, of course, available exclusively on ESPN+.
2: Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network.
0: Speaking of, the Mexican national team on full display this weekend on ESPN+. The Classicer in the Eredivisie between Ajax and Feyenoord. Kyanord with Santi Jimenez on the bench. Oh my God, what a cracker. <laughs> taking the lead in the 34th <laughs> minute from Igor Baixau. 71st minute, oh! Edson with oh! the assist. Oh no! You No! Gotta, you gotta reward that. Reward that beautiful pass. Almost assist from Edson Alvarez. El pase filtrado. Listen, man, I had
1: Edson Alvarez as my best defensive midfielder in CONCACAF. It's a dead heat right now with him and Tyler
0: Adams, I got to be honest. Ajax eventually does find their equalizer. Davy Klaassen getting the credits.
1: You remember Klaassen World Cup. I Can't believe he's like the starting number 10 there.
0: Late chance for Feyenoord. Santiago Jimenez for the win. Oh, Save.
1: No, Edson let him go inside. Don't let him go on that left foot, Edson got bailed out by the goalkeeper. Look at Santi. Let's hear
0: from Santiago Jimenez after the game.
1: No, yo creo que estos partidos los vives desde que te despiertas, desde la semana pasada, porque se siente todo el, el, como el rigor de de toda la afición, de querer jugar este clásico, de que solo tienes que ganar este partido. Y la afición nos contagia a nosotros los jugadores para dejar todo en la cancha y tratar de sacar el resultado, pero sí creo que eh, es un ambiente muy bonito y se notó cuando entramos a la cancha, se te pone todo piel de gallina. Sí, no, obvio, siempre el delantero quiere ese tipo de oportunidades, esos manos a manos y bueno, esta vez no se dio, creo que en otros partidos se ha dado, pero hay que seguir trabajando para que, para que el porcentaje sea mayor en, esas, en ese tipo de jugadas.
0: Santiago Jimenez off the bench, Edson Alvarez, Jorge Sánchez starting and playing the full 90 in that one. Meanwhile, in Serie A, Duelo de Mexicanos, another one. Chucky Lozano's Napoli against Memo Choa Salernitana. Both in the starting lineup. Memo with two saves, but it wasn't enough. Napoli won 2-0.
1: Yeah, like, is there a better team right now? Forget, like, Italy and all of Europe than Napoli and how they're playing. And is there just worse defense in Salernitana and what they're showing? Oh, man.
0: Hey, at least Memo's getting work. Lots of it, lots of saves. Yeah. Napoli, 12 points clear in Serie A with the points deduction to Juventus. Tough times for Memo Choa. We got some history here. Andres Guardado playing in his 300th. That's right, La Liga match this weekend. As Real Betis fell 1-0 to Espanol this weekend. Guardado started the match. So did Cesar Montes, Herc, who played the full 90 in Español's win.
1: We've not done 300 shows. This man's played 300 games for like, Give me a break. Like, he's played 300 games in La Liga. Uh, one of the absolute best national team careers. Forget for Mexico, just in general, all a Casa cap. Look at Cesar Montes, get stuck in, my friend.
0: Betty sixth in the table. Español, 13th after Español's nothing victory. La Liga, of course on ESPN Plus and our coverage of the Spanish top flight continues on Sunday with Real Madrid against Real Sociedad. Don't miss it. Coverage starts 3 p.m. Sunday on ESPN Plus. Alright, let's move to Liga MX. Pumas president Leopoldo Silva has announced the club will be terminating Dani Alves' contract. Alves has been charged with sexual assault and has been ordered by a Spanish judge to be held without bail in Barcelona where the alleged assault occurred. Alves has denied any wrongdoing. Herc, what do you make of Puma's decision to terminate Danny Alves' contract? Yeah,
1: it's the correct decision here. Um, Danny Alves was detained without bail. There's no coming back, at least in the meantime, to even fulfill those sporting duties, even if Pumas wanted him to. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's since changed his statement, or asked to change his statement for, I believe, the fourth time. Mm. Um, on this program, just in general, it's good practice. We tend to not question victims. Right? There's a due process, a legal process that needs to, that he needs to go through, and Pumas needs to allow. I. Don't see how Pumas could even think of bringing him back with just what's out there. What Danny Alves himself has said, uh, the information that's available to anybody who wants to Google and research what's going on, um, and just in general what Danny Alves himself is going through, he's got bigger fish to fry than fulfilling this season with Pumas. So Pumas did the correct thing here uh, for the institution, for the university, for their brand, for their sponsors, just in general.
0: Yeah, I'm with you that it's the correct decision. For those that don't know, you know, Pumas is not a standalone organization. They're linked to UNAM, which is a very prestigious university in Mexico, perhaps the most prestigious university in Mexico, one of the most prestigious universities in all of Latin America, an a institution of higher learning, of education. When you couple that with what Pumas is as a, as a football team, Herc, I think the onus there is even higher. They have a, a, a greater social responsibility, if you will. Do you think another club, a club that maybe wasn't linked to a university, would have waited and stuck around and find out? Or do you think that this would have been a, a decision that was made unfortunately, at any so, club in Liga Amequis? Or do you think Pumas is unique in that regard? Uh,
1: um, unfortunately, that's, that's where we're heading here. Is where, well, Ibarra at Club America, mm-hmm. was in a DV situation, domestic violence situation, and he continued to play for America, and then he went to Santos. And João Malik, while at Santos, uh, they brought him into Santos, excuse me, I should say. You know, He's now playing, or was playing Liga Expansión, so there are elements within Mexican football where players continue to play after everything. It, it shouldn't be about that, because these, these things have happened. Um, it's unfortunate that... We blur the colors and you become set into this fandom. Well, America did it. Well, Santos did it. Well, Atlante Club de Expansión did it. Or uh, Tepa did it, whatever the case may be. It shouldn't be about that.
0: So one of the things that has come out in the documents is Danny Alves' reported salary with Pumas. 300,000 euros a month. So that's about 3.6 million a year. That's big-time money for Liga MX. And it's certainly, Herc, we know big time money for Pumas as far as terminating the contract, I'm wondering if they're not almost relieved if they can get out of this and if they can save some money because this has been, even aside from this horrific allegation, a disastrous signing for Pumas. You want to talk about a big time bust. I would be shocked if Pumas isn't scrambling right now to their lawyers and saying, hey, can we get any of this money back? Can we get any of this money back? Because that money could go a long way for a club like Pumas.
1: Well, not the m- money's already earned. That's gone. That's in Danny Alves's pocket. That's not going anywhere. Future monies is where they're concerned because this contract was rescinded, so that means they don't owe it. There's no severance there. You don't owe him anything there. It's out. So in a contract, when you're with a prestigious organization, um, like ESPN or like uh, Puma, or whatever the case may be, there are certain clauses, morality clauses, clauses where if you cause the company or the name to be seen in a different light, an embarrassing light, or a light uh, like in this morality cast can come in, that comes into play. And they're yep. not legally bound to have to pay you. That's the situation we see here with Pumas.
0: All right, enough on Pumas. Let's focus in on another one of the Grandes down in Mexico. Chivas, who in case you missed it, have debuted a new tradition, a giant horn. What do you, what do you think of this? Oh my goodness,
1: I I guess it's the best thing of their season I've seen so far.
0: <laughs> oh, Chivas, a club with so much history and yet they need a horn, shout out to Bofo Batista. Chivas playing Toluca over the weekend, 31st minute, and how about that? Chivas opens the scoring against the team you picked to win it all, Herc. Yeah, yeah, keep going, Seb, because uh,
1: it's a goal, and it's an own goal. And it is against the team that I picked to win it all. Um, who actually happened to
0: win this game, Seb? So okay. how do they do it? Relax, Woo. wait till the end of the highlight. Woo. Don't blow it for everybody. What a shot. They're ripping it off the crossbar. Shout out to Nene Beltran who made the play. On the own goal. How about that one, Watcho Jimenez? This is an insane save. Yeah, you talk about revelations of the season early on. Watcho Jimenez. Decent so far, Carlos Gonzalez. They're making it 1-1 in the 60th.
1: Yeah, a, par- a pair of goals already uh, in this season. Two goals for him gets up there. Look at John Meneses. Meneses right there to Charlie Gonzalez. You thought this was going to go in, Seb Right?
0: With my anti-Chivas ways, you know I did. But don't worry, Toluca would get their game winner. Camilo Sandeso, Marcel Ruiz, the kid, go on.
1: Yeah, that's Toluca's version of Jordi Cortizo. Uh, how sick are these jerseys, by the way, for Toluca? Woo-hoo-hoo.
0: Toluca, the come from behind. 2-1 win over Chivas. What about Cruz Azul taking on Necaxa? Pick this one up in the 14th minute. Long ball. Edgar Mendez, one nothing.
1: Yeah, that's uh, Funes Mori's brother right there, just getting absolutely bodied. Uh, La Ley del Ex, ex Cruz Azul player right there, putting that one away.
0: Cruz Azul's Carlos Rotondi here. The shot just wide. Three minutes later, Hugo Gonzalez with the first save. Shaggy just misses wide. I, I mean, that's got to go in. Shaggy, que the Shaggy? Second half, Antuna. The dangerous ball across ends in nothing. And Necaxa ends up with three points. 1-0 over Cruz Azul. America Puebla at Azteca. 24th minute. Sendejas. couldn't quite make the play. Later in the first half, Diego Valdez with the shot denied, still first half. Zendejas across, Henry Martin off the pitch, off the chest hurt. Hey, Zendejas with a good ball in and just a goal scorer's
1: goal. Just gets his chest on it and I'll flex on him. I'll allow it.
0: Zendejas active here. Anthony Silva, big stop.
1: Yeah, one of the few bright spots for Puebla. Anthony Silva, another massive stop right there.
0: Just before the half, Puebla keeping America from adding a second. Here's your equalizer, Gaston Silva. A dead ball again.
1: Oh, Zendejas. How pretty was that, Seb? Oh, beautiful. Happy about that call-up, you think? Yeah, he's motivated. Goal and an assist for Zendejas. And look at this one. Ooh.
2: Could
0: have been 3-1. Feeling himself. Zendejas denied by the post. Puebla would get a late one. Emmanuel Gularte with a header. 2-2 the final as America still winless on the season. All right, her Chivas are 8th in the table. America 11th, Cruz Azul 17. Who should be hitting the panic button hardest? All right, on paper
1: I think everybody say Cruz Azul, they're 17th out of 18 teams, right? But if you saw that game against Necaxa, they had 70% possession. I think it's crazy they ended up scoring. They had a ton of chances. Uh, a man down versus Monterrey last game. I, I, I'm going to let them pass for a second, right? for right now. Let me focus on Chivas, okay? And why Chivas, not why America? I, I've seen this from America before, and I think they're going to lift their game. They, they've got the pool, at least. Chivas? is a club that was already limited to begin with, and their biggest scoring threat, if not their only scoring threat, was Alexis Vega. They have two goals on the season, one of which Alexis Vega scored before he got injured. The second one is an own goal. They have no punch. They actually, versus Toluca, surprised me. They get in and around the area. It's actually penetrating that area. It's actually being dangerous, that final sequence that they are missing. Ormeño's out, they don't want him. Mm -hmm. They could use him, they don't want him. Hota, excuse me, Jota Macias is just coming back right now. Who knows what he's going to be like after that ACL injury if he'll be anywhere near um, his best. And if he can translate that best that we've not seen in the Chivas uniform for quite some time that we saw in León today. You've got Cisneros, who's not really that forward. Uh, you don't have that big scoring presence like you did with Alexis Vega and the next four games. While on paper it looks easy because it's Juarez. Querétaro, Pachuca without Nico Ibañez, and Cholos, it puts even more pressure on your team because you're supposed to win those games right now that you don't have Alexis. And if you don't, what's it going to be like when you have to play the big boys? I I think this is a team right now with Panovic that's got their finger like just above that button, ready to press Mm.
0: that alarm. All right, you go Chivas. I'm going Cruz Azul. I'm going Cruz Azul. And to be fair, I've had my doubts about Cruz Azul from when the... Season started. Remember when we did our which coach would get fired first? I was between Busetich, the manager of Rayados, Cruz and Pedro Ferrari. Gutierrez, the manager of Cruz Azul. Okay. Okay? I went with Busetich, but I wasn't really convinced about Cruz Azul. One, the way their season ended last time around. In the quarterfinals, they got destroyed by Rayados. They didn't even show up. They didn't even show up, especially, especially in the home leg. Okay, so I didn't have a lot of confidence coming in. Then there's all of this off-the-field stuff. They were late-registering players, which is not unheard of in Liga MX because of the way that the the transfer window sits in the season. But it's it's not ideal. We had the Uriel Antuna situation, clearly wanted out, didn't get his sale. We have the Cata Dominguez situation, which is still playing out. Remember the pictures that we showed you a couple weeks ago? Legendary player for Cruz Azul got himself in some hot water. I just don't like how things are going for Cruz Azul right now. I don't feel like there's a good vibe around the team. And then, Herc, I look at the schedule. Their next two games, Tigres-Toluca in Liga MX. I mean, Cruz Azul has some big worries, right? And and, and very urgent worries right now, correct?
1: They do. And to add on to your vibe of Cruz Azul, El Potro Gutierrez, the head coach of Cruz Azul, was just on record talking to the press calling out studio fans so like these fake fans that mm. seem to be circling the team and, and constantly criticizing Cata Dominguez was supposed to serve four game a four game suspension for that unfortunate party that he threw mm-hmm. for his son that narco themed party he only served 3 so they, that internal suspension they couldn't even implement themselves so they the are internal
0: suspension yes Love that. they are
1: at the moment um, not doing uh, quite well but This is a team, and I'll go back to use Chivas, that has just more of a pool, more players. Uh, And the producers in my ear, why not America? Because I've seen this from America before. This is America that we saw last season. Last season, the only difference here is last season, they were struggling at the beginning. But because it was sandwiched with these friendlies versus Manchester City versus Real Madrid, Chelsea. There There was was a ready-built excuse. excuse. Right now, they've they've lost points in two home games but they've yep. also not lost. So, yes. so there, there's, there's something to be said about that. Uh, and, and America's got more just to play with. I think Chivas right now really depends so much on Alexis, and, and they really need to pick up points when he's not around because they need to make up points when they get there.
0: I don't love how America's playing because producer Beto, who's a Chivas fan, is in my ear. I don't, love, I don't love the start. I'm close to the panic button. I'm not as close as Cruz Azul. I'm probably not as close as Chivas. And the bottom line, because Kazurka always says it on this show, Whenever we talk about America, when they were playing well in the regular season, what, Herc? It doesn't matter. America will be judged on Ligue 1. So these first three games mean absolutely nothing for Club America. He said hopefully. Let's talk Leagues Cup, Herc, because Liga Mecchi going to have to take a break. So is MLS for Leagues Cup this year. Fifteen groups of three we're gonna have in this 47-team tournament, which is set to start on July 21st, run through August 19th. We've got four groups in the East, South, and Central regions. We've got three groups in the West region. And then we got LAFC and Pachuca, who get a bye into the knockout rounds, which will start with the round of 32. Herc, of all these groups, which is your group of death? Honestly? It's
1: very difficult to find a group of death because I'm not just trying to pick like two teams. I want three teams that make sense. But let me give you the closest that I found with some very good narratives is Grupo Sur 3. So that would be Atlanta United, Inter Miami, Cruz Azul. In that group, you have Atlanta United with Gonzo Pineda that's gonna be on the hot seat this year. Newly placed President of Operations, Garth Lagaway, with that big checkbook. Oftentimes a blank check, if you know what I mean. And there's a transfer window before this tournament kicks off. Something interesting could happen there. Inter-Miami, David Beckham, and that team that splashes money around with Joseph Martinez that used to play in Atlanta United. Oh, and guess what? Cruz Azul, one of the biggest fan bases, most historic teams in Liga MX, who knows what that transfer will look like for all these teams in play. This could be a very interesting group before the tournament even kicks off.
0: Blank checks. Look at those dad jokes flying from Hercules Gomez. All right, so I went with West 2, Herc. I went with West 2, which is your beloved Seattle Sounders, Rayados of Monterrey, and Real Salt Lake. Now, I know RSL looks like the weakest of the three in there, but let's not forget, RSL was in the playoffs last year. Looks like. And was in the Western Conference Final back in 2021. So who's the weakest? Well, I'm just saying Seattle Sounders didn't make the playoffs last year. Who's the weakest? RSL is the weakest. Okay. But they're not weak. They're not weak. So I think Rayados, Sounders, RSL is a very difficult group. Another group that I like, West 1. Tigres, Portland, San Jose. You want to talk about narratives, interesting storylines? You said uh, something. I like Jose. the matchups. You said Jose. I like San the matchups Jose. there. You know like we San Jose? did
1: interview Luchi Gonzalez, and he uh, was very good in his interview and very, very honest about their okay. current
0: situation. But you still don't respect San Jose, just to be clear. Okay. okay. There it is. In case you missed it, Hercules Gomez. Inter Miami in preseason mode, and they got CONCACAF. They lost 3 0 to Brazil's Vasco da Gama on Saturday, but the real story is La Familia, an Inter-Miami supporters group, walked out in protest after four fans were ejected from Miami Stadium for setting off pyrotechnics, which are banned, Herc, are banned per stadium rules. Joseph Martinez also presented to fans at halftime. Um, of this game, but there you when have it, into is Miami. The
1: loneliest number that you'll ever see. What do they want? Like, there's no priority. I'm gonna show them. Let's go. Let's just leave this preseason game that we paid our money for. That'll show them
0: U.S. Women's national team, facing off against New Zealand for the second time in four days last week. They got off to a great start. Her 22nd minute in, Ashley Hatch with the tap in. Who did that outside the foot flick? That was dirty. Ooh, it was Sanchez to Rodman to Hatch. Little Washington spirit thriller there. Okay, Sofia Huerta with that ball on a dime. Look at this, uh, just Rose Lavelle right into her path. Ah, uh, you got that. Lavelle makes it 2-0 in the 39th minute. 53rd minute. Mallory Swanson. Yes, Mallory Pew as we used to know her, pew, makes it 3. Pew pew, pew. Still, still on target, if you were wondering. Mm-hmm. Still got it. 74th minute. U.S. looking for a fourth. They find it. Lynn Williams to Rose Lavelle. Yeah, I
1: know it's close range, but it's a tricky finish because it's in that juncture, in that area where you don't know if you gotta finish it with your hip, you gotta go knee, she gets it in her second of the night.
0: Then with 10 minutes to go off the corner kick, Taylor Korniak, big target, big goal, five nothing to the United States as they beat New Zealand for the second time in a row. Post game, let's hear from Rose Lavelle and Vlatko Andonofsky.
3: I think this was a really, really good test run for us. I think it's really valuable to be able to come here and um, get a feel for what we'll experience when we come back in six months, um, even just experiencing the travel between um, group games and I guess the whole tournament. But um, yeah, I think it, it was really good for us to like, know what to expect when we come back. Uh,
1: like uh Rose said this is a great test for us uh and I can speak about uh tests on the field as well because uh we started the uh, second half of last game to uh to connect uh, certain lines uh, certain players and the lines and it, and it looked good and we wanted to see that uh, a little bit more uh in this game and I think this game we we were more consistent uh, and more concise uh, from the very uh, from the get go, from the very beginning. Even though we, we, didn't, uh, we didn't score more goals, I felt like uh, we created a, a little better opportunities in this game.
0: All right, Herc. So everybody was up in arms saying Seb's too harsh when he gave him a C were, plus. Were you not for the four nothing victory over New Zealand in the first game of the calendar year? Five nothing in game two. Did we see improvement?
1: Yes, you saw improvements. The finishing ability was a lot better. You Mm -hmm. didn't see as much lackluster finishing as you saw in the first game. There's still a lot of question marks, and I understand the value of these games. The 24-player called up, about 14 of them will be debutants in a big tournament. I'm talking about an actual Olympics or World Cup, a big tournament. Only 10 of them have that experience. So, while it is important to get them together, I ask what the value is of playing the same team twice in the same week, in a team like New Zealand, six months away from a major tournament, still a lot of question marks. Julie Ertz, how do you fix the center of the midfield? Mm-hmm. Um, Sam Mewis, what's going on there? That mystery. Rosalvel, can she be a functioning operative eight at that level? It looks good when you're playing against teams like New Zealand. You can go in advance, you get into these spots, you can score those goals. But there's still so many questions for a very inexperienced group.
0: The value here is not the competition, for sure. You're right on that. It's not New Zealand. It's the trip. It's everybody getting a chance to, to make that journey. It's the Federation officials being able to see, you know, where the pitfalls, where the problems might be when they get there in the summer. That's that's the value of this trip. Herc certainly they improved, and that's all you want to see in a World Cup here. You want to see improvement from game one to game two. To your point, the finishing was far less wasteful. They get their first goal instead of waiting till what? Minute. 53 or 54, they get it 22 minutes into this game. And by the way, it's Ashley Hatch who wasn't supposed to start this game. Alex Morgan was supposed to start. Hatch kind of comes in late, gets the goal, so that's a positive sign. We're seeing the goals from Rose Lavelle. My goodness, her performance in this certainly gives you something to smile about. Generally, the midfield performance, which we really pointed at in the 4-0 win is problematic, was better here. And I think, Herc, a lot of that has to do with Ashley Sanchez. I continue to be impressed by this player. I don't know what the solution is, Herc. I don't know what the solution is in midfield, because to to take Lindsey Horan out or Rose Lavelle out, I don't really think that's an option in terms of getting Ashley Sanchez on the field. But if she doesn't need to start, she certainly needs to play more. We see her make such a difference, not just with her plays, but the way the team moves around her, Yeah, It's just so much more fluid. This is a player that needs to be on the field.
1: It's much more dynamic. The first goal, it started off with the flick of the foot, knowing, Mm -hmm. anticipating, knowing that your player is going to be in that space, playing it, and then being available again, because she trails in at the top of the box. It really is that third man running that next level movement, that next level thinking. But you're right. The center of the midfield right now is the biggest question mark I have with this U.S. women's national team besides the inexperience, how they would do against the better teams in a tournament.
0: Another player I think is starting to come around, and, and we'll leave it at this, Trinity Rodman. Yeah. Okay. We've seen her dominate the National Women's Soccer League. We've not seen her be the same player at international level. I think, again, to your point, it's New Zealand, it's not elite competition, but I think we saw her on this trip start to look a little bit more like her NWSL self at the international level, and that could be huge for the U.S. women's national team in a World Cup year. Speaking of the NWSL, arc, we got a big, I mean big trade involving U.S. internationals. Racing Louisville, sending Emily Fox to the North Carolina Courage in exchange for defenders Abby Erceg, who's a New Zealand international, and Carson Pickett, who you remember was a recent... U.S. call-up, Ersig, on social media, saying that she was, quote, shocked and disappointed by the trade and said she wanted to finish her career in North Carolina. But there you have it, a big trade in the National Women's Soccer League. Emily Fox heading to the North Carolina Courage. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Football Américas. He's Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebi Salazar. Programming note, we are not back on Thursday this week. Ah, ojo, ojo. We are back Wednesday night after the US-Serbia game, live post-game reacts. Should be right around midnight Eastern, 9 p.m. Pacific, because the game is a seven o'clock start out there on the West Coast, and we will be live right here on ESPN Plus in the aftermath. But
1: don't they record at the same? Of the US. we don't care. Against
0: Serbia. That's right. Go head to head with the rights holders. That's the attitude here on football Americas we'll see ya Wednesday night after USA versus Serbia unlucky Shah. <laughs>